0: The 0-2 pitch, swinging a miss, struck him out. The
1: Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball.
0: It's Wednesday, January 17th, 2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Chet, one more home win means a trip to the Super Bowl. Bring on those Minnesota Vikings, and maybe we can get Merle to update our opening. (laughs)
2: not that i'm counting okay i'm counting as we speak bill we are about 95 and a half hours from kickoff and i can't wait we will talk plenty about the birds this evening and later have a little sixers talk with a newcomer to our show matt mcclure he's going to join us but it is eagles talk right here at the top
0: you bet and uh, we've got a busy show in front of us so let's get it rolling welcome back philly.com columnist mike sealski to the philly press box radio roundtable mike welcome
1: Thanks for having me again, guys.
0: Hey, Mike. Nice seeing you at the Sports
2: Writers' Dinner the other night. That is always a fun evening. Now, this is your fifth time visiting our little show, Mike, but uh, it's the first since last August. So, are you as surprised as the rest of us the way the Eagle season has gone?
1: Oh no, I absolutely thought they were going to have an MVP candidate, a quarterback, and get off to an <laughs> eleven and two start. <laughs> no, I mean, believe That's me, true. nobody's more surprised than I am, and. uh you know, I think it speaks to a couple different things. I think it speaks to um, just how good Carson Lentz got and how quickly he got good. I think it speaks to, um, you know, some pretty astute uh, maneuvering in the off-season by Howie Roseman, and I think probably in the, the biggest surprise of all, just what a sharp game-day coach Doug Peterson has turned out to be. You know, uh, I, I had some doubts going into the season about Doug. Not necessarily because of game management, but more because of his place in the organization and that question of whether the organization really believed in him fully. Uh, but I don't see how after this season, um, and particularly that game against the Falcons, uh, that, that you couldn't feel really good about Doug Peterson, the Eagles head coach.
2: You will probably talk more about Doug as we go along here. Uh, but, Mike, let's get this out of the way. And I apologize, but I have to ask you. You wrote a piece earlier this month basically saying that home field advantage is overrated and that it wouldn't necessarily improve the Eagles' chances. Now, I know you cited some data in writing all of that, but I'm guessing you've heard from some of your readers who didn't entirely agree with that column?
1: I heard from readers. I've been on uh, other radio programs having to defend that column um, Yeah, you could say people were not happy with it.
2: (laughs) So so let me ask you again, do the fans at the link help the Eagles?
1: Uh, They absolutely do. Um, And if you were there Saturday, you experienced it firsthand. All I was trying to point out in the column was that around here, we tend to think that the Eagles have one of the best home field advantages in the NFL, and – I raised two questions or made two points, I should say, in that column. Number one is that a study done by ESPN back in August um, showed that compared to other teams around the NFL, the Eagles really don't have that great a home field advantage. Now, it doesn't mean they don't have one, and it doesn't mean that it can't be the difference in a big game, but compared to, say, the Seattle Seahawks or the New Orleans Saints or some other teams, their home, the Eagles' home field advantage is not as great. And secondly, anybody who's been around Philadelphia sports can tell you, and I've had nobody contradict me on this, that when things start to get a little hairy or a little squirrely, so the Eagles or even the Phillies or the Flyers, um, that the, whatever home field or home court or home ice advantage our team might enjoy often tends to dissipate and disappear pretty quickly because we get the <laughs> Philadelphia's default reaction to adversity isn't necessarily optimism. It's dread, hmm. and we start to get nervous, and that creates kind of a different kind of atmosphere. And, some, and I think that in a so kind of way might contribute to the fact that uh, our teams and the Eagles specifically don't have as great a home court or home field advantage compared to other teams. I wasn't saying that the Eagles didn't have one. I wasn't saying that it wasn't to their advantage to play at home, you know, last week against the Falcons or this week against the Vikings. I was just saying that we tend to tell ourselves that it's this incredible home field
0: advantage, and it's really not quite that. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like uh, Pittsburgh fans booing Ben Roethlisberger early in that game last exactly. week. That was a big exactly. Yeah,
1: well, hey, look, you got that right, Phil. I was going
0: right, to ask you about the Doug Peterson, and uh, you covered it pretty well. But uh, I do have a question for you in regards to several things and see what what one you sure. think he has really excelled at the most. and you know, I think game management is certainly one. Uh, the way the locker room, the way he's built this team and the team is together, to me, is just amazing, especially on the professional level. And then the, the innovation that he's used in the offense. I, I think that little inside trap with uh, Aguilar last week was a was a classic play, great play, old-school football. Uh, what surprises you the most about those?
1: Well, I think the, the acumen in the game is what surprises me the most. I think Doug has done an excellent job with the locker room, but I also think that it's been to his advantage a little bit that they that the Eagles really do have a pretty good locker room with some really good leaders as far as, you know, Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long and Carson Wentz and Jason Kelsey and Jason Peters and guys like that. that they have a very solid veteran core um, who can set the tone within a room and, you know, who will, you know, do some of the heavy lifting for Doug. Um, but it's, it's in the game. It's in the game calling. It's in the game uh, scheming, the play scheming, play design that I have been really impressed with Doug. Um, and, and, it's, and it's extended to what we've seen from the Eagles even after Wentz went down. If you watch these games, um, even when Nick Foles wasn't playing well against the Raiders or the Cowboys, you could see the design of the plays getting players open. You saw that Again, like in the Falcons game, you know, even though the Eagles only scored 15 points, they controlled that game, really, from from the – you know, from – it once Atlanta got that field goal in its opening drive, the Eagles really controlled that game. Uh, you know, and, and Doug's play calling and the kind of, you know, death by one slash at a time, five yards here, three yards there, 12 yards there, you know, it, it, was, it was really uh, – he was in control that game, I thought. And he got Nick Foles into a good rhythm, got him comfortable – Um, you know, I I thought it was really an excellent
2: performance. Mike, the Eagles are running with this uh, disrespected thing. You know, the fact they were underdogs against Atlanta, they're going to be underdogs again against the Vikings this week. Is that helping them psychologically? And did you buy your dog mask yet?
1: (laughs) I don't have a dog, let alone a dog mask. So I don't have either one of those. Um, I think it helps them psychologically, but, It's funny, I wrote about this in a column just today that will go online on Philly.com tonight. I talked to Torrey Smith today at length uh, because he was on that Baltimore Ravens team in 2012-2013 that won the Super Bowl and that kind of had like a mini-miracle in the divisional round, just like the Minnesota Vikings did on Saturday. You know, they had that deep pass uh, to Jacoby Jones and Joe Flacco that helped them tie the game against the Broncos and they went on to win. And, you know, Torrey pointed out that as underdog as the Eagles might be feeling, the Vikings are probably feeling exactly the same way. I mean, they pulled out a game with that Minneapolis Miracle Sunday night, and I'm sure they're they feeling 10 feet tall and bulletproof too. So I think this is just going to come down to, you know, who executes better. Um, you know, will the, will the Eagles be emotionally invested in the game? Yeah. Will they be charged up because the fans are charged up? Yeah. But I think this just comes down to, Um, you know, who runs their plays better, you know, who wins the the battles up front along the offensive and defensive lines. I'm not sure underdog is going to have that much to do with it because I think both teams are kind of feeling the same way. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and and that's exactly what I was going to say, Mike. Uh, The down in the trenches, you know, these are two really good football teams. And, uh, you know, a stat came out today that four of the top five teams in defense are still playing. And everybody else has gone uh, throughout the season. So, how do you how do you assess what's going on in the trenches this weekend? Do you think the Eagles match up? You think they'll play well there?
1: Well, I think you got to look at you know the one matchup you got to look at is you know how Lute Vitai you know at left tackle. I mean the Vikings have a have a pretty good pass rush, although um, they didn't get a whole lot of pressure on Drew Brees on Sunday night. Um, and if you're going to attack any soft target in the Eagles' offensive line, Vitai is going to be it. So, I would keep an eye on him. As far as the, the Eagles' defense against the Vikings' offense, I mean, Fletcher Cox was absolutely terrific um, against an all pro center, and, you know, and Alex Mack for the Falcons, um, you know, who really, you know, anchors the interior of that line. So, you know, I would look for the Eagles, you know, again, to, to, if they're going to win the game, they're going to have to control the line of scrimmage, particularly when they're on defense. And so I would look for, for Cox, for Brandon Graham. Timmy Jernigan, you know, if, if the Eagles are going to win, those guys are going to have to have big games again because I just don't see the Eagles scoring a whole lot of points against the Vikings defense that good.
2: Mike, you mentioned the end of that uh, Sunday Vikings-Saints game. Where does that rank among crazy finishes to a pro football game?
1: Boy, that's a really good question. I mean, you, you got to think of the the, the immaculate reception Um, If we're including regular season games, I suppose you include the two miracles at the Meadowlands, Um, you know, maybe the catch. uh, But even that, you know, even the catch wasn't as improbable as that. I mean, you had to have, um, you know, so much go right if you're the Vikings and so much go wrong. You know, I don't know how you guys felt watching it, but once I saw Stephon Diggs catch the ball for about a, a split second, I thought, why isn't he going out of bounds? Get out of bounds and try to stop the clock, see? goal and then i realized like oh my gosh the guy who missed him was the safety and there's nobody within 15 yards of him to keep him from going to the end zone so um you know it was pretty amazing i mean i have a six-year-old son who was watching the game with me and he was really rooting for the vikings so i was very happy that the vikings pulled that out just for him because i didn't want an upset six-year-old to deal with
0: (laughs) got it (laughs) hey mike i've always been a proponent that uh Playing at a very high emotional level for a couple of weeks in a row is extremely difficult. And I think, you know, for the Vikings to come back, I mean, the Eagles game was, as you mentioned, although it went to the end to the last play, the Eagles controlled that game a good bit. I think, if anything, they'd have been disappointed had they lost the way they played. In the Vikings' case, is a little bit of a different game and a real emotional roller coaster. To me, it's advantage Eagles for the Vikings to have to come back for that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, you may be right, Bill. I'm not sure how you can predict something like that. Um, I mean, I, I, again, I, I wrote about this today, and I didn't mention this particular example, but go back to 2003-2004. Uh, you know, after 4th and 26, was there anybody in the Philadelphia area who thought the Eagles were going to be stopped? You know, I mean, they converted that play. They come back to beat the Packers. You think, oh, my gosh, they got to be rolling on an emotional high, and they come out completely flat against the Panthers, the following week, so maybe you're right in that regard. But then you have the the Ravens, you know, in 2012, converting a miracle play, and then going into New England and beating the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, I think it probably depends on kind of the nature of your team to a certain extent. Um, you know, the Vikings, while they put up 29 points in that game against the Saints, are not necessarily an offense-first team. Their smart play, and so I would expect to see more of that. the Eagles are going to win Sunday, and I think they have a pretty good chance to win, but if they do, I think they're going to have to earn it. I would be surprised if the Vikings came out just flat.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's real hard for fans to understand how you could get to this point in the season and be flat, uh, but it happens. You know, it's human yeah. nature. You you want to play, but sometimes it just doesn't work that way. So, certainly a possibility. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think you're right, and I think, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll find out pretty early on, I say, how how this is going to shape up. You know, I mean, if, if the Eagles are able to get out to a quick lead, if they're able to feed on whatever emotion the crowd gives them, you know, that's all to their good, all to their advantage. But, you know, I think the start matters. And in some ways, I feel like the Eagles really weathered a, um, you know, a, what could have been a bad start in that game against the Falcons. You have the Ajayi fumble. You have the Falcons driving the field on their first offensive possession, but yet settling for only a field goal. If the Falcons had scored a touchdown on that first drive, you know, we might have looked at things differently. But it allowed both the defense and Nick Foles to kind of get their sea legs. Um, You know, the Eagles kind of pounded away at them offensively, and and things worked out.
2: Mike, we'll see if we can squeeze a prediction out of you in a few minutes before we let you go. But uh, before we do that, and I'll be talking with Bill some more about this later on, um, while enjoying the Philly Sports Writers Banquet the other night, I was thinking we've been blessed in Philadelphia with some pretty amazing broadcasters and journalists, past and present. Do you agree?
1: I do, absolutely.
2: Uh, let me ask you, uh, you, the winner of this year's Stan Hockman Award was uh, at the banquet was recently retired Philly Daily News writer and columnist Rich Hoffman, a great honor. And as I recall, the first winner of that Stan, Stan Hockman Award two years ago was a guy named Mike Sealski. Now, I didn't make it to the dinner in 2016, but I'm pretty sure that was a pretty special honor for you, Mike. It was.
1: It, it was a, a tremendous honor. Um, you know, I mean, I, I admired Stan like I admired... You know, many, many of the writers in this town, when I was a kid, and, and they were, you know, the guys I read, the people I read in the, in the Inquirer and the Daily News every day. You know, people like Bill Lyon and Jason Stark and, um, you know, Bob Ford, who I'm proud to call a colleague now, and Phil Sheridan, and, um, you know, Stan was one of those guys too, and, um, you know, Rich was as deserving as anybody could possibly be of that award. I mean, he... He has, as Gloria Hotman Stan's widow, mentioned that night, uh, the other night. You know, Rich was really the voice of, of tempered reason in the city for a long, long time. But he was also somebody who, when, the, when he, he would meet the measure of a moment, he could capture the feeling of something um, as well as anybody in town to go back and give a chance and uh, look up his, his column just this past year uh, after Rolly Massimino died. Um, he captured Rowley and the Big Five uh, as well as, as any writer probably ever has. Rich is a dear friend. Uh, he's a mentor to me, and I was thrilled to be there for him and to see him win that award cause he deserved it.
2: Yep, very nice honor. Hey, Mike, speaking of the PSWA dinner, the Phil's new skipper was there. What is your early impression of Gabe Kapler?
1: You know, it's kind of funny. I, uh, I, I was listening to him. I like uh, Gabe. I think he's going to be a blast to cover um, uh, he's a breath of fresh air in a lot of respects. But if you were, if you weren't there at the banquet, he got up to talk and he went on kind of this extended metaphor about how, you know, the, the uh, Phillies, the, the Phillies, and any Phillies sports team are a forest, and you know, the, the the coaches and the executives are the soil, and the players are the plants and the trees that are going to grow. <laughs> and reach us necessarily. He's trying to connect with the guys in the clubhouse, the players. And they're of a younger generation. They, um, you know, they text, they tweet, they go on Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And it's a newfangled kind of ball game in terms of reaching the modern athlete. And I, I'm really curious to see how he's able to do that and whether it's effective. Interesting. Well, hey, Mike, I have one more
0: Eagles question for you that uh, that I missed out on and I wanted to ask you. And this week, sure. well, last week, let, let's go back last week, you couldn't see an article that did not have Nick Foles and could Nick Foles do this and could Nick Foles do that and this week, no mention of Nick Foles pretty much anywhere. Now we're talking about defense. Uh, has has Nick done the job? Is he off the hook here for a little while? Well, I don't know if he's off
1: the hook. I, I, I would say this. I think Nick I, I, was a much bigger question heading into the Falcons game based on the way he had played against the Raiders and the Cowboys than he is now because he played a a up-and-down, solid game of football in, in a playoff situation. I also think we have a better idea now of what it will take for the Eagles to win and you know what our expectations are heading into the Vikings game. I, I don't think anybody's under any illusions anymore about what the Eagles' offense is going to be with Nick Foles at the helm. It's going to be, you know, score 15 to 20 points in probably a best-case scenario and bank on the defense shutting down the Vikings. Um, So is there less concern about Nick? Yeah, there is. Now, part of this is we haven't had a chance to talk to Nick until today. Um, So the opportunity to write a whole bunch of stories about Nick Foles has been limited because we haven't had access to him to interview him and ask questions, part of it too. But I do think he he quelled a lot of fears with the way he played Sunday. Um, I do think the other question is, though, is Doug going to be able to just game plan, to roll the same game plan out there against the Vikings that he did against the Falcons? For instance, the the Falcons play a lot of cover three in their defense. That's basically all they play. And that allows, that, that lends itself to having Dick run those uh, run-pass option plays that he's so adept at and that he used in the second half so well. You know, take the handoff to Jay Ajayi and hit Alshon Jeffrey on a quick slant. Those, those patterns and that run-pass option is going to be harder to run against the Vikings because they play tough man-to-man defense. So, you know, we're going to have to see. Does Doug think they'll continue to work? Or is he going to have to come up with something else? To get Nick, to get Nick into that comfort zone that he got against Atlanta.
2: Mike, I know you don't always make predictions, but we're going to try to get one out of you before we let you go here. Uh, would you care to make a little prognostication for Sunday's Eagles Vikings
1: game? Uh, I, I've learned not to get it, not to predict against the Eagles. Not just because <laughs> this team keeps upending expectations, but because it's better for my mental and physical well-being if I don't pick against the Eagles. So I'm going Eagles 16, Vikings 13.
2: Oh, I like that. I thought you liked the hate mail, though, Mike.
1: Uh, it, you know, it reaches a point where there's a it's the whole law of diminishing returns. It's fun for a while. And then after a while, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe these people are still bringing this stuff up. So, um, you know, I've I, I reached my fatigue point, I think. and
0: uh,
1: I'll just go with the Eagles and, and hope for the best here.
0: I love it. Thanks, Mike. Hey, Mike, any any chance Jacksonville goes to New England and
1: hangs in there and knocks them off? I think it'll be a pretty good game. I think their defense is really good. Um, You know, they've got the same template that the Giants had when they beat Brady and the Patriots in those two Super Bowls. Generate pass pressure without having a blitz, you know, cover tightly on the outside and be physical. And the Giants did that twice, and it worked. So we'll see.
0: Well, they – they sure weren't concerned about going into Pittsburgh and taking it right to the Steelers. They they put a whooping on them.
1: Now, it's not often that you can say that a team allows 42 points and plays a, a terrific defensive game, but the, the Jaguars did that last week. And uh, Yeah, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see what they do against Brady and Belichick. You bet.
0: Well, hey, Mike, uh, we've used up all your time, and we certainly appreciate you coming by and joining us
1: this weekend.
0: It uh, should be a lot of fun. Go, Birds.
1: Anytime, guys. Always happy
0: to do it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Mike. Take care.
1: All right.
2: You got it. Hey, do you want a great place to grab some food or have a couple of beers with your pals? I have just the place, the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Bucks County. The Irish Rover has a terrific atmosphere, daily food and drink specials, a spacious dining area, extensive beer list, and menu items from burgers and gourmet wings to barbecued ribs, trivia every Wednesday night, and live music this Friday and Saturday. Lots of big screen TVs, too, to watch Sunday's conference championships games, including the Eagles, Vikings. And you can pre-order wings or just about anything else from the Irish Rover for your Super Bowl party. Call 267-560-4240 or visit their website, com. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne. And speaking of those underdog eagles... There's no need to fear.
1: Underdog is here. Now we've got to keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Lord, we've
2: got to keep the faith.
0: Keep the faith, Bill. You know it. Hey, Chet, as you sat back now several days after Saturday, uh, we have an extra day to think about all this. What's your biggest takeaway? What surprised you the most from that Falcons game?
2: Uh, I would say the way the Eagles didn't panic. Uh, they just you know, maintained their composure. They weren't worried about Matt Ryan or Julio Jones and those guys. They just continued to play their game offensively and defensively. And much like they've done all year, the defense got the job done, limiting Atlanta to, you know, 10 points. And those are really gift points because a great field position set up by Eagles mistakes. So uh, just their their passion and their uh, ability to maintain their composure. I, I was very impressed for, you know, a first playoff game for Doug Peterson and company.
0: Yeah. I think my biggest takeaway from that game is, and, and Mike kind of touched on it briefly this game was not near as close as what the score ended up. If the Eagles had not won this game, I think it, the disappointment would have been so great because the Eagles clear, clearly outplayed them. And, uh, you know, if you saw that one play chart or that, that we posted where I think there were nine punts, a field goal, and a short drive of 18 yards, that's it. That's all Atlanta did. The Eagles' defense shut them down. And offensively, the Eagles did pretty much what they wanted to
2: do it was close because of those two turnovers like i mentioned i mean if you didn't turn the ball over twice eagles might have pitched a shutout or held them to a field goal so very impressive job by the eagles d and i do think they do have a home field advantage and i think it's going to help them again this week and we're going to make our predictions a little later on in the show
0: we are. Uh, interesting, too, I thought uh, the Jay Ajayi situation w- was kind of interesting. He was the workhorse there for a while. They came out at halftime, and the sideline reporter says, Doug says we're going to get the ball to Ajayi. But uh, there wasn't a whole lot of Jay Ajayi to be found after a while, and uh, that was a little surprising to me as well. And, and Doug, Doug kind of blew it off. He didn't really give much of an answer when he was questioned about it in his, in his presser.
2: Well, you know, we heard Mark Echo, we heard Ray Dinger both say they don't think Jay Ajayi is anywhere near 100%. Yeah, true, a lot of guys aren't at this point in the season, but Ajayi has had the the knee issues, and they may be, you know, holding him back a bit, not being willing to give him the ball 20 or 25 times in a game, even though the Dolphins did it earlier in the season, including when uh, Miami beat Atlanta in early October before Ajayi was traded to the Eagles. So I think they're just being a little patient with him and, maybe a little extra cautious, but I mean, we saw him get caught a couple of times from behind. So I would think his knee is not a hundred percent too. And uh, I think that's why they're just kind of taking it easy with him, getting what they can out of him, you know, four, 15 or 16 carries.
0: Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing I was really surprised about in that game. The, the uh, Garrett blunt fumble where the ball was stuck right in his belly, right where it's supposed to be. And it was almost like he forgot to uh, close his arms. What in the world? That yeah. was, Ooh.
2: and how about nick Foles recovering that fumble uh you know having the presence of mind to fall on it at the one yard line it wasn't a touchdown but he uh kept it there and boy that would have been a huge lost fumble right there so good job by nick Foles on that one.
0: Oh yeah and and turns out to be a huge gain by the eagles and a huge what would have been a takeaway for the falcons absolutely the the other thing uh uh, you know, one of my favorite sayings along with defense wins championships is always don't let the other team's best player beat you. And Atlanta did everything they could, three out of the last four downs, to get the ball into Julio Jones's hands. And, uh, you know, the, he, he caught the one that got down to the two-yard line. and uh, But the, the Eagles did a great job of defending him, and both of those, uh, even in that down, uh, to not let the, him get any yards after catch. So they went to him three times. The Eagles stood the challenge on defense.
2: Yeah, they knew it was coming on that last play, and they uh, you know, made sure it didn't work out to Atlanta's favor. So I, I was a little scared, though, i got to be honest.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there was probably good reason to be, especially on that scramble. And I, and I tell you what really got me is when the ball was at the two, you know, you couldn't, even in today's NFL, you couldn't guarantee they were going to pass. They could have just as well run that ball. Um, so, you, I mean, you couldn't just bail out of the box and drop everybody into coverage, or they could have run it from two yards out.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't have expected it, but uh, in retrospect, they might have maybe they should have considered that, because it would have fooled me, I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> you know it. All right, hey, Chet, we're going to talk some about those 20 and 20, and just on the cusp of the playoff Sixers, our brand-new special guest joining us from, Brothers MC Podcast, Matt McClure. Matt, welcome. How you doing? Hey, Matt.
2: You know what, Matt? I'm going to play a little music for you uh, because I I checked out your show, and I think
1: uh, this will make you feel right at home. One, two, three, four, five,
2: That song is from uh, way before you were born, but uh, it is a favorite among us Sixers fans. So you, you feeling good now, Matt? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to it. You're a lot younger than Bill and me, a whole lot. Uh, you've seen more losing seasons by the Sixers than winning ones in recent years, certainly, but that may finally be changing. They are right at the 500 mark as we speak, as Bill pointed out. What is your overall assessment, Matt, of the 2017-1876ers?
3: I think they've uh, been pretty good. Uh, they're sitting here at 20-20, and 20 and their schedule – has been pretty tough. They played the, the Golden State Warriors twice. They played the Cat or Celtics four times after tomorrow's game, and they played the they played the Raptors four times. And only one one of those games they have blown a lot of leads, and that's been the problem all year. I of what I've seen, they've been up 20 points or more, and pretty much some of those games, and they've blown them all. So. I've been actually impressed with what, they, what they've what they been doing. 20 and 20,
0: it's pretty good. I think it can be better
3: towards the second half of the season.
0: Well, Matt, that's what Chet's been preaching since before the start of the season. So I'm going to hope you're right. But uh, I know you watch closely Joel Embiid. Uh, He's certainly is the, the guy that stirs the drink here, the straw that stirs the drink. What uh, – how do you see his injury and in minutes playing out here? you think they're going to get where they can use him down the stretch and make a playoff run? I think so. I
3: think he's uh, – I hope the load management stuff's over because I'm tired of seeing it. I know everybody's really tired of seeing the fans because this guy is must-watch TV, I think. And when he's not out, the, out on the court, you know, they're play suffers. And without him – I really don't think they got a chance in the playoffs or making the playoffs if he's not even playing. So he needs to, you know, get rid of that load management stuff that the trainers are saying, and he needs to get out on the court or else they got really no chance of even getting to the playoffs.
2: Now we learned on Tuesday that J.J. Reddick's going to be out for 10 minute or I'm sorry, 10 days at least, maybe a couple of weeks with a leg problem. How big a blow is that?
3: I think it's a huge blow because – on my podcast, I really preach about how he's been pretty much the MVP of this team because when Embiid wasn't playing, they needed a guy who could score, and he was the guy, you know. Ben Simmons, he can't shoot the ball. He he drives the lane, and he can make layups, but he, can't, he doesn't have a jump shot. So they needed to rely on somebody else who could score the basketball, and it was J.J. Redick with his three-point ability, and he's really been – a spark for this team. And it's going to hurt when he's not out there.
0: Hey, Matt, speaking of Ben Simmons, uh, there's a, a little bit of a social media push, I guess, to try to get him some all-star votes uh, to make that team. You think he's worthy of uh, of all-star consideration? I think he could.
3: I'm not going to say he will, but he's been uh, special this year with his, just vision of the court. He's a floor general and he can really do a good job. I don't know. I think there's better point guards out there in the East. Uh, Kyrie Irving, what he's been doing. And, and I think Kyle Lowry's even been a little bit better than what he's been, but uh, I think it's a chance he could get on there as a bench player, you know, and play a little bit. It would be a good experience for him to see, you know, what all those good players, like the great players do during that weekend. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think it's going to happen.
2: Matt, I checked out one of your recent shows, and I forget if it was you or your brother, but maybe it was both of you. I don't know. It sounded like you guys didn't have a whole lot of love for Robert Covington this season.
3: No, we actually like Robert Covington. It's just his play, as of late, has been suffering. And Mark's actually, my brother, is a really big supporter of him. He was, at the beginning of the season, he was playing great. He got that four-year deal, and it was looking like we we got a guy who can really play here. And as of late, he just hasn't been producing the numbers that he did at the beginning of the season. And I don't know, his shot looks a little bit off to me And he needs to fix it because, again, we need to rely on guys who can score the ball. And he's one of those guys. He's a sharpshooter from deep. But he hasn't really been playing as well as of late, and it's been hurting the team.
0: Well, I'm a real supporter of that T.J. McConnell. I, I think he actually needs to get more playing time. And when he is in there and they let him get stay in the game long enough to get some rhythm, um, he's, the, he's the team leader, I think, that can win basketball games for this team.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. And T.J. McConnell, he's a great guy to have on your bench because he has moments of scoring the basketball, he can pass the basketball. I think he's one of the better defenders on the team with his steals. And he's a – I think he's a spark plug for this team. And he he's a guy who can bring energy right off, right off the bench, and he can really do a good job. And I think, like you said, Bill, he should be playing more.
2: Hey, I want to ask you about the coach, Brett Brown. Uh, you know, he's suffered through four very – tough losing seasons. Now they finally have some players. They're in contention for one of the lower-seeded playoff spots in the East. Uh, is he the guy to lead this team into the future? What do you think about Brett Brown?
3: I like Brett Brown. I think he's got his flaws just as every other coach. I think he needs to take more of the blame for those blowing leads, and I feel like he doesn't say too much about that. And I, he, His substitutions are okay. I think he can be the coach of the future. I don't see why not. He's leading the six, young or 10 They're 20 and 20, like I said earlier. And I think they're going to be five of Brett Brown in the future. So, well, I have to see.
0: Well, Matt, Markel Fultz looks like he is getting closer to coming back. Um, how do you see his impact? Uh, is he going to get minutes? Is he going to get minutes from McConnell? Is he going to get him from Simmons? <laughs> Or is he just not going to get that many minutes?
3: I think he'll probably play a little bit to get him warmed up. But um, I think we need him because he's a guy that, again, can score the basketball when we need it. And Bede's on the bench. Simmons is on the bench. And we don't have that really from any guys on the bench. I think he'd be a good contributor and I think he should get minutes. I know I saw a video. His shot still looks a little bit funky, which is scaring me. It really is. But I think he will be a huge contribution to the team, and I'm looking forward to seeing him.
2: Hey, we talked about most of the key guys, except for one of my favorite players, and that's that Dario Charich. Uh He got off to a slow start this year, but he's been playing very well of late. Do you agree?
3: Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. And he's been absolutely – the guy in late December and early here in January, he's pretty much carried the team. I like his vocal leadership that he showed after that skid there in December, you know, saying we gotta play Philly basketball. We gotta D up and and I really like that. He's been the man. And I actually he's one of my favorite players on this team because he's a hustle guy. He's got that championship player mentality and that's what I love about him.
2: Hey, we talked about Brett Brown. Uh, One thing I'm not crazy about is the fact that he's played Amir Johnson a lot more than Rashawn Holmes. I think Holmes gives them more than Johnson. I know Amir is supposedly better defensively, but I like what Rashawn Holmes gives to the team. What's your stand on that, Matt? Yeah,
3: you said it right there. I mean, he Rashawn Holmes I think is better than Amir Johnson. He – He's a more explosive. He's got more of a pep in his step. It almost seems like out on the court, and I think he's a he again needs to play more. I don't understand why he doesn't. Like you said, Amir Johnson might be better on the defensive end, which I could see. And he's, you know, been in the league for a bunch of years. But Rashawn Holmes, he's got he he plays hard and. I don't really understand why. He only seems to play, I feel like, when, like, Embiid is not playing. And he needs yep. to play more. I think he can compliment Embiid better than Amir Johnson,
0: in
2: my opinion. I'm with you. Yeah.
0: Well, hey Matt, as we close up, uh, now tell us a little bit about what you've got going on. You're a student at uh, at Penn State, I guess, Get ready to go over to the main campus. Your partner in your podcast is uh, your brother, Mark, who's also – graduate from high school, get ready to go to college, and uh, also wants to major in broadcasting, as you do. Uh, is that all right? And uh, tell us about your podcast and where people can listen to it. Um, so, yeah, we started this podcast uh, a few few months or about
3: a month or two ago, and, you know, we just really wanted to get some experience, you know, talking and, and doing broadcasting stuff for our major. And, yeah, our show is either usually Thursdays or Fridays, four or five in between. It's on on Twitter, uh, at bro underscore MC podcast. So check that out for updates. But uh, we also do Block Talk Radio, as you do. So if you want to find us, that's the way to do it.
0: Very good. Uh, Do do you have a special or a time that you try to stick to on those Thursdays or Fridays, or is it it – whenever you guys can it, work your schedule it's
3: usually four to five p.m. in there in that range it's, we try to
0: um
3: get the schedules right so like you know if mark doesn't have practice or i'm in class or
0: something we try to get a time in there where we can both uh do it okay and, and you talk uh at this time at least you're talking pretty much just sixers right yeah, we talk
3: pretty much Sixers, but uh, we go uh, around the league as well. We usually preview the Sixers games, uh, review what they've done the week before, and then we talk, you know, about the NBA in his whole, who's winning, who's losing, and then we look at the playoff standings as well. So it's it's been fun so far.
2: Hey, Matt, I have one quick one for you. Uh, As Bill kind of alluded to, my official prediction uh, at the start of the season was 43 wins and a fifth seed for the Sixers. Uh, What is your take? What are you seeing? Do you think they can get as high as a fifth seed?
3: I do, and it's because there's teams that have about the same amount of losses as the Sixers do. I'm with you. I think they can win from either 42 to 45 games in that in that area, and I think teams like the Pistons and the Pacers are going to fall off. And a team like the Sixers, I think, will jump ahead of them in the standings and maybe look at that five seed that the Wizards are standing at right now. I think also the Miami Heat will drop down as well. So we'll have to see. Our schedule does lighten up, but I, there's no question, there's no excuse to not win 23 games, Twenty go 23 and 18 in these next 40 or so games.
2: I like the way you think, Matt.
0: All right, Matt. Well, <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us, and uh, let's do this again. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me.
3: All, All right, right, take you care. It.
0: All right, hey, Chet, you had a chance to attend the 114th annual Philadelphia Sports Writers Association banquet that you mentioned along with Mike. 114 years. Holy cow. Some big-name athletes were honored and some big names in attendance as well, including one Jim Chesko.
2: (laughs) Yeah, this was my fourth time going, the fourth one over the last eight years. And that is not a misprint, by the way, the 114 years. They formed the Philly Sports Riders Association in 1904 with the first annual dinner in 1905, honestly. Teddy Roosevelt was U.S. president at the time. There was no Cy Young Award yet because Cy Young himself was an active pitcher, very much in his prime. Connie Mack was in just his fifth season of the 50 years that he managed the Philadelphia A's. Ty Cobb was a Detroit Tigers rookie in 1905. And I'll tell you this, too. A week before that first PSWA dinner in 1905, Babe Ruth turned 10 years old. So the Philly pro sports scene at that time had the Phillies and athletics, but that's about it. Things have certainly changed just a bit since that first banquet. But anyway, to your original point, yeah, quite an event with lots of familiar media folks in attendance and some legendary athletes and former athletes, too. Ex-Philly greats like Ron Jaworski, Brad Marsh, and Gary Maddox. Um, current Toronto Raptors guard and Villanova alum Kyle Lowry, because the Raptors played the uh, Sixers that afternoon. Uh, current Philly slugger and skipper Reese Hoskins and Gabe Kapler were there, respectively. Carson Wentz didn't make it in person to accept his Pro Athlete of the Year award, but he did do a real nice, heartfelt five-minute videotaped acceptance message. So it was a good night for sure.
0: Well, hey, uh, Chet, now Ron Jaworski, Gary Maddox, a couple uh... Uh, guys from back in our day were there receiving awards, and uh, all the way up to that Reese Hoskins. Uh, how, how was it with the all old, the, the old, older and younger guys being mixed in there together? Good time.
2: Yeah, and I saw on the panel that Gary Maddox was sitting next to Reese Hoskins and Gabe Kapler, and you know during breaks I could see them talking a lot. So I'm sure Gary Maddox was telling about you know how it was back in the 1970s and early 80s. Um, Maddox talked when he uh, did get his award, a uh, Living Legend Award, about, you know, how times were back then and how there were some protests back then, too, of, uh, you know, just because of the Vietnam War, because uh, he was a vet himself, Gary Maddox. So um, I'm sure he talked quite a bit about that kind of stuff with those guys. I saw Jaws talking to some of the other guys on the panel. Um, there was a lot of camaraderie up on the dais as well as beforehand during the cocktail hour. And I got to say hello to a lot of great people, too, like Dr. Joel Fish, who we had on our show previously, uh, Dan Baker, who uh, hopefully we'll have on in the near future, Mark Zumoff, I met for the first time, real nice guy. And uh, we, I talked to Lou Nolan and Sam Carciti, who we recently had on Philly Press Box Radio, and of course, Mike Sealski. So a nice uh, night and a good chance to mingle with a lot of the Philly journalists and media folks.
0: Yeah, it's I, funny, I was going to mention to you about. Uh, and zoom off. Uh, both guys. I didn't know that Dan Baker was there, and, and as you know, Dan's been on my list, the guys I've wanted to try to get on the show for a long time. Dan's done it all here in Philadelphia. Uh, interesting to have all those guys in the same room, a lot, of, a lot of booming voices.
2: Yep, and Dan will be on our show. I don't have a specific date, but Dan said absolutely, so we're, we're going to work that out sometime in the next couple of months. So we will be hearing uh, the golden tones of Dan Baker on Philly Press Box Radio before long.
0: Oh, very, very good. Sounds like a lot of fun. That—that's uh, where over in Cherry Hill. Is that where that event held?
2: Yep, Cherry Hill at the Crown Plaza Hotel on Route Seventy, the same place where I go twice a year for my Monster Mania convention, which uh, will be coming up again very soon in March. So I'm very familiar with the Crown Plaza in Cherry Hill.
0: Well, and I have to ask you one more question about this. Uh, I know the Carson Wentz signed jersey uh, started out at four hundred dollars, and there's a lot bigger spenders there than uh, you and me from Philly Press Box Radio. How much did that jersey end up going
2: for? To be honest, I don't know. I know somebody did put an initial bid in for the 400 they were asking, but I didn't check on it later because I knew it wasn't going to come to me, and I didn't even bother to <laughs> check. So I, I just know they raised a lot of money you know, through that and some other auction items, so good for all the charities that were involved, but a little bit out of my price range.
0: Yeah, me too. Hey, one other final question. Uh, Joe Conklin was there. Was Joe the MC of of the event and uh, was he at his always best?
2: <laughs> Not the MC, but he's always the comic relief. I've been to the, like I said four of these dinners and he's been the comic every time, so I think he's kind of a regular. Uh, they bring him on, uh, you know, in the middle of the night just to kind of break things up a little bit, and he does his impressions of Joel Embiid, Brett Brown, Meryl Reese, of course, and even though he's not been the manager lately, they threw in a couple of Charlie Manuel impressions, and our president, number 45, Donald Trump. Uh, we got uh, some impersonations of Mr. Trump as well from Joe Conklin, so yeah, Joe killed it as usual.
0: Nice. All right. Well, hey, sounds like a good event one of these days. I'm going to have to get up there and get to that with you.
2: Oh, I should mention also, one of the things they do is they they honor a lot of college athletes, um, you know, kids from St. Joe's and Villanova and, you know, some other people that you might not be as familiar with. And then at the end of the night, it's the most courageous award, which is a surprise to almost everybody because they don't announce that in advance unlike the other awards. Last year it was Bill Lyon for, you know, his battle with Alzheimer's and the columns he's writing for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And this year it was a young lady who plays for the Saint Joe women's basketball team who suffered a stroke at the age of seventeen when she was just moving in as a freshman back in August of 2014 um she is now 20 or maybe 21 by this point and she is a senior and she battled back from her stroke and is on the team and playing this year um you know coming off the bench and averaging like two and a half points a game so uh that was real nice to see Vern, not Vern. uh her last name is mars avery mars got the most courageous award real nice young lady and uh it was really nice to see her getting that award and speaking about it very cool
0: Very cool. Sounds like a great event. Absolutely. Hey, Chet, before we get to our championship game predictions, let's take a minute to thank everyone that visits our website, phillypressboxradio.com. We we can't thank you enough. For those not familiar, you can listen to all of our shows through the site. We keep it updated daily with current Philly sports articles, and some we write. We post Vimeos of interviews with all our guests as well. By the way, that classic Ray Diddinger with the Christy Brinkley story is posted. (laughs) That can't miss stuff right there. You can click on our sponsor links to go to their websites as well, and a whole lot more. Thanks again to all that have visited, and to those that haven't, it's phillypressboxradio.com.
2: Yes, indeed. And, oh, yeah, we recently topped the 25,000 visitor threshold to the website, and I mentioned the Philly Sports Writer Dinner just moments ago. Well, I wrote a recap about some of my observations from the event for the website, too, so you can check that out on phillypressboxradio.com.
0: All right, hey Chet, we said last week that the playoffs never go as planned, and the Jacksonville Jaguars proved that by going to Pittsburgh and beating up the Steelers in a game that really wasn't close. Uh, Minnesota-New Orleans was a classic, and of course the Eagles game came down to the last play, and as disappointing as the the WAP card round was, to me, the NFL uh, made up for it in round two.
2: Lots of drama for sure. I still can't believe that Viking Saints ending. And I'll never understand how the Steelers twice in the last three months made Blake Bortles look like a stud quarterback. But that is the NFL.
0: Yes, it is. Well, hey, how did we do on our picks? I know uh, I think you took Minnesota and I took New Orleans, so I'm down one there, I think.
2: Yeah, last weekend, we both got the Steelers game wrong. But overall, you did go 2-2 two and two because you picked New Orleans. Well, I had faith in that Case Keenum and the Vikings defense, so I went 3-1. and one. So, take that, Furman.
0: Mm, I'll be back. I'll be back. Okay, only two games to pick this week, obviously. Jacksonville at New England, Patriots minus nine. Uh, Jags Patriots,
2: it would be fine with me if we saw an upset and Jacksonville does have a very good defense. I know there's some weird stuff going on up in New England with Belichick and Brady and management and whatnot, but it certainly didn't seem to have any impact on their game against the Titans last Saturday night. And I don't see it hurting them this week either. The Jags might cover that nine point spread, although I wouldn't make any bets in that direction, but it is the Patriots coming out on top in that one. I'm pretty sure. How do you see that one, Bill?
0: Yeah, I do, too, and uh, I'd like to see Jacksonville. They're under the radar. I'd like to see them go up there and play well, but, geez, you just, you know, it's Tom Brady. It's money time, and it's Tom Brady time, and I I just don't see how they can go up there and knock them off. As for all that other stuff, that Belichick, Kraft, Brady, fake news, man. Don't believe a word of it. (laughs) All right. Hey, Vikings at the Eagles. Vikings minus three. Eagles or dogs? Who you like?
2: I'll tell you the truth. Had the Saints won last weekend, I almost certainly was going to predict New Orleans would knock off the Eagles this week. And I apologize for that, but thank goodness it didn't happen. The Vikings won in crazy dramatic fashion, and it is now them coming to the link. And once again, the Birds are underdogs, as you mentioned. I like this matchup for the Eagles. It's two very similar teams. Both have great defenses, both have quarterbacks who were backups when the season began. They were teammates once previously with the Rams. Neither team is expected to put up a lot of points this Sunday. The big difference for me, the game being at the link, where Mike Sielski may believe it or not, the crowd will make a difference. The Birds can't lose the turnover battle this weekend, however, and expect to get away with it again. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about this one, although it almost certainly won't be a blowout. My prediction, and this is probably higher scoring than most people would have it, I'm saying Eagles 20, Vikings 17.
0: Well, you know what? I'm going to go with you on most of everything you said, and I'm going to add a little bit to it. Um, I like the Jim Schwartz matchup against Case Keenum. I did not like anybody's matchup against Drew Brees.
2: Exactly. Um, I,
0: I think that there, were, you know, Keenum, Keenum played really well, threw the ball really well the other day in a dunk. Uh, I think the, the weather, although it's not supposed to be awful cold, uh, but I think Jim Schwartz will be able to throw some things at Keenum maybe he hasn't seen before. You can't do that to Breeze. Uh, I'm going to go that the Eagles are going to make some turnovers, create some turnovers, and I'm going to go even a little higher score than you, but not as high as I went last week. I'm going Eagles 23, Vikings 16, and they're going to get them on three field goals. So uh, one touchdown, three field goals is how they're getting to 16. 23-16, birds that were going to the Super Bowl.
2: All right, so you say 23-16 Eagles. I say 20-17 to 17 Eagles. Now, I have the lie detector on you. Had it been New Orleans, would you have picked the Saints to beat the Eagles?
0: Um, I would have had to give that a lot of thought. Yeah, yeah I was leaning I mean, that way. <laughs> yeah, I, you know. Uh, although I was not really impressed with the way the Saints played on Sunday, if I was going to use that as my barometer, but uh, but the, there's the Drew Brees factor. And to me, that's the Roethlisberger, Brady, Aaron Rodgers. There's only a few, a, guy, a few guys that fall into that group. Yep. All right. Let's see what happens. I will be in the house, by the way. I will be one of I those fans that don't matter.
2: You and Bob Sullivan hanging out together.
0: Yes, we are. Hey, Chet, uh, your role continues with our guests. So who's coming back to Philly Press Box? Or not back. I don't know if they've ever been here before. To Philly Press Box Radio next week. Since I don't know who
2: well, it is. I don't either. The role won't be stopped, I'll tell you that. But it's in limbo right now, Bill. I'm waiting to hear back from two prospective guests, but neither has been finalized as yet. So at this point, let's just say it is a mystery guest or guest for next week.
0: Ah, Okay. Hey, even you are on your toes for this one, huh? (laughs) Yeah. All right, Mr. Chesko. Well, uh, we are right about at Party Shots.
2: Let's do it. Here we go. Five Philadelphia Flyers, Bill, have had their number retired. The number one jersey, of course, worn by Bernie Perrant, Marks Howe, number two, Barry Ashby's number four, Bill Barber's number seven, and Bobby Clark's familiar number 16. Well, Thursday night, a sixth number will be formally retired and raised to the rafters. The number 88, worn by 2016 Hockey Hall of Famer Eric Lindros. It'll be a special night for the Big E and his family, of course, but it will also bring back a lot of memories for all Flyers fans, too. As much as I enjoyed watching Clark, Barber, and and company back in the 1970s, I was equally excited in the early 90s when, following that much-anticipated 1992 ruling by arbitrator Larry Bertuzzi, Eric Lindros began his career with the Flyers that fall. There had been few like him before that time in the NHL, a guy with size who wasn't afraid to use it, but who also had speed and terrific skating, scoring, and passing ability. He could do it all, and he pretty much did during his eight seasons as a Flyer, notching 290 goals and 659 points, winning an MVP award along the way, and leading the Flyers to the Stanley Cup Finals in 1997. No cup, unfortunately, we know. Yes, there was the not-so-great relationship with with the Lindros family and Flyers management, mainly Bob Clark, during Eric's time in Philly. But all of that has since been put to rest, and Lindros and the organization these days have nothing but good things to say about one another, thankfully. We all remember how great Lindros was received at the 2012 Winter Classic game at Citizens Bank Park and the 2017 Alumni game at the Wells Fargo Center, and Thursday night's ceremony should be equally memorable. Congrats to Eric Lindros.
0: Congrats, congrats. Wish I could be in the house for that one, too. He was so much fun to watch. Yes. All right, Chet, my parting shot uh, goes like this. The sports world lost another legend this week with the passing of Mr. College Football, Keith Jackson. The 89-year-old Jackson did it all in his 52-year broadcasting career. He did the first live broadcast from the Soviet Union covering rowing somehow when no one was allowed to broadcast from there. He worked college in pro basketball games, Major League Baseball, auto racing, summer and winter Olympics, and in 1970 was the first play-by-play announcer for NFL's Monday Night Football. But it was college football where he made his mark. Linemen were not guards and tackles. They were the big uglies. Running backs didn't drop the ball. There was a fumble. Or an undersized player, he might say, he's a little bitty thing, a bantam rooster, but he's young. If he keeps eating his cornbread... He'll be a man size one day. And, of course, there was, whoa, Nelly, his signature phrase. What are now common phrases in college football, the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl, and the big house at Michigan were both coined by Jackson. Penn State's Joe Paterno said, keep Jackson in college football. You can't say one without the other. Who can forget the 1983 National Championship Sugar Bowl between Penn State and Georgia in this classic keep call? Lions have got a drive going here, a
2: time-consuming effort, too. But now Blacklist is going to put it up on first down. He's going for the
0: bundle, Garrity! Touchdown! Truly a classic call as Penn State won their first national championship. Keith finally called it a career after describing the Texas-USC national championship game at the Rose Bowl in early 2006. As Joe Paterno said, you always know it's a big game when Keith Jackson is there rest in peace, Keith, a true American sports legend.
2: Very nice. Yeah. Whoa, Nellie rest in peace, Keith Jackson. He is a legend. Indeed.
0: You bet with that, Mr. Chesco, we have reached the top of the hour. We'd like to thank our special guests, Mike Sielski, Matt McClure, Irish Rover station house above Sullivan's like for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chetchesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show and will join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, January 24th at 7 p.m. when one or two of our mystery guests joins us. You can listen through our website, Philly Pressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Philly Pressbox Radio or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans and over.